0: Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Grant. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's been a while since we've bantered, hasn't it?
1: It has been a while. We've had a little bit of a, a little bit of a break, and during that time, we've uh, we've had our very own uh, freedom.
0: Indeed, indeed. So you're not allowed to talk about it anymore because it's gone. It's passed.
1: I know it's past, and I might jinx, I might jinx us all. But uh, I think you might there might be a different tone to our discussion today, just a, a, a lighter sort of a, a lightness in our voices, just for the fact that we can now talk to other people outside of our immediate families.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kim, <laughs> do you want to run us through uh, the topic and our wonderful guest for this episode?
1: Today we're talking to the Vice President and General Manager of Australia, Pacific and Indonesia for Coca-Cola, Europe-Pacific partners, Peter West. Prior to gaining that somewhat impressive and intimidating title, Peter was Managing Director for Australian Beverages for Coca-Cola Amital and had been so since 2018. He's had more than 30 years of extensive experience across the fast-moving consumer goods sector with senior leadership roles at Lion Dairy and Drinks, Arnott's and Mars Confectionery, basically all the delicious places. Uh, hi, Peter.
2: Uh, hi, Kim. It's, um, yeah, I mean, one of the pleasures of my career is all the products I loved as a, as a kid and a teenager I've got to work on over the years. So.
1: I do always think of that with, with people that work work in, in companies, you know, doing exactly that, or you know, a footballer who ends up being a coach and, and you know, staying with his team that he'd loved since he was a kid. Um, what's that? What's that like? Has it? Has it? Um, I mean, you've stayed in the sector for thirty years, so it must have held your attention.
2: Well, I think when I uh, when I accepted this job, one of the one of the images that I had was um, my dad. Uh, or my mother and dad uh, owned a hotel. And one of the things that I always used to do, to, to do was work in the bar with my dad as a, as when I was in primary school and I just used to hang around him. And so I'd be in the bar and getting the post-mix machine and putting the Coke in when he wasn't looking was one of the favourite things. And so that sensation just takes me back to, to a childhood. So it's a, it's a wonderful memory.
1: Oh, look, I bet. Now, you've had a big year. I don't quite even know where we should begin. I mean, there's the the. I guess there is the transition from Amital to CCP. Um, there's also the recent announcement of um, selling the beer and cider business. Uh, there's operating during COVID. Uh, the new canning line. I mean, it goes on. Yeah. So what's been? Uh, I guess what have been your highlights and what have been the challenges for you?
2: Yeah, look, I think for our, for myself and the organisation, you know, uh, if you go back to last year, we started with the impact of the bushfires. We came out of that in, into COVID. Uh, we came out of that to a takeover. Uh, the takeover sort of played out over a number of months. Uh, we then moved from that to integration uh, to uh, CCP. Um, and then obviously back for us in Sydney, back in COVID lockdown. So it's been an enormous uh, period of time for, for the company. Um, I think we're really proud how the, the integration's gone. Uh, you know, we were acquired by another Coca Cola bottler. So there's lots of similarities in the way that we operated. Um, lots of knowledge of our, of our business. Uh, so I think that that's gone really well to, to do it, uh, to do all of the integration via WebEx has been a, a very different experience. Um, so there's a, lots of people that I've spent a lot of time with that I've never met. Um, but you know, there's so much in common between just Coca-Cola bottlers, and uh, you know, I've worked for a few different companies, and I sort of have this perspective about what a good owner is and a, and a bad owner. And I think it's more than just a shareholding and a return. I think a, a good owner brings category expertise. Um, you know, when you're in a in a category where it grows, you know, three to five percent margin, fairer. So category expertise makes a big difference. F- functional expertise, um, and then the ability to transfer knowledge. So. I think that's this exciting opportunity for, for us and our, our customers. So, but, you know, through, through all of that, I think the highlight has been um, managing the complexity of COVID, managing the safety of our people uh, and managing the volatility. Uh, it, it's been incredible.
1: In terms of that volatility, how has that played out for you? Have some, uh, you know, have some markets really, you know, I mean, obviously there have been markets that have, that have suffered, but have others really gained? Like what, what did that volatility play out
2: like? If if you started at an Australia uh, lens, uh, the states that have been open, it's been incredible how strong it is. So Western Australia, South Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland, Tasmania, life is brilliant. Uh, And our customer base have really enjoyed strong performance uh, and we have a very diverse customer base. uh, And we've seen strong performance, whether it's in our on the go channel, convenience and petrol, uh, grocery uh, licensed customers, and then New South Wales and Victoria severely impacted um, through the prolonged lockdown uh, and, and here customers are, uh, are impacted. Um, we see quite a big difference um, about the, the future of work and just where people shop, uh, no longer going into CBDs, no longer catching trains, driving more, going regional. So the transfer of, of business is um, really unbelievable and, and we think that'll shape the next two years.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of questions there. Do you then look at those states which haven't had the lockdowns and and where business has been so strong and, and parlay that across to, well, New South Wales and Victoria will get back to that? You know, it will just, it'll be a process of time. Or is it that you now sort of look at Victoria and New South Wales almost as a, at least for the sort of short to medium term, as almost a unique market that will just perform differently?
2: Yes and yes. Okay. It's, it's so, uh, so, yeah, I think the, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot to learn from the states that, that are open, uh, but there is, there is an impact where Australians can't travel. So, if you're in Perth and, you know, circa 350,000 people might go to Bali and they don't go to Bali, uh, then they go to the Margaret River or, you know, they, they go coastal. Uh, so, it creates a very strong regional focus. And over time, with confidence, travel will return. Now, it, it won't. It won't be for a while because there is a level of confidence before people feel comfortable, uh, and that's why we say the next the next couple of years. But we also take some of the learnings that we see in Europe of how it will play out, and we think the combination of insights from Europe and insights from our states that have been open give us good direction to to the next uh, few years.
1: And then, when you're looking into that New South Wales and, and Victorian market. I mean, obviously there must be growth in, say, in in grocery and retail compared to convenience in those states. But are you then also seeing exponential growth outside of the immediate cities, like out into the suburbs or like how does that, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So when you're in lockdown, that's, that's a certain behavior. Uh, and you, you've got to remember that we had to stay within kilometers of home. Mm, we couldn't yeah. go out. So, so soon as those restrictions, you can't have people around. Soon as, soon as those restrictions change, we see behavior change. So having people back at home when there's a restricted number, when it becomes unrestricted, it changes again. And we see that across our portfolio, the same in, in restaurants and cafes. So people are returning. In general, the, the, the space separation keeps it in, in confidence, but when people are going, they're, they're buying more and spending more. So nearly all of our customer base would give us feedback, which is lower lower sh- uh, shopper numbers or, or visitor numbers, but spending more. And that's, that's a very consistent uh, theme that we're seeing. If you look at what's going to sh- uh, continue to shape is uh, the flexibility of work. Um, no one is going back to 2019. Increased flexibility is now uh, a way of life. Uh, That means for most companies they'll be juggling sort of three days in the office, two days flexible. That changes people not catching a train, not catching a bus, uh, staying at home. I don't know about you, but when I was at home, sometimes I'm rushing for lunch. I would have I, I would have cereal because I had nothing else, and yes. I had no time. So
1: I did. I did reach a. I did reach a point where I put a put like a a block on toast. You can't have <laughs> toast for another meal. <laughs> it was just like I mean that was for, uh, for a number of reasons, but yeah, it did actually reach a point of like maybe some salad leaves, Kim. Like just back away, back away from the breps. No more toast. You can't have toast.
2: <laughs> it does change then to um, you know where before you were going to an office, you might have gone out for lunch. Uh, what it tends to be is dinner is changing uh, and take-home delivery uh, is obviously a, a key change. And, and then for us, the other is location. So uh, the fastest growing um, parts of the New South Wales have all been northern New South Wales. Why? You can't get into Queensland. If you're in Sydney, you want to enjoy. Uh, so you go coastal and then coastal fills up. Where do people go? Inland, uh, Bathurst, Orange. Uh, so re- regional is a big winner and regional will continue to be a big winner.
1: Mm. As a business and particularly as a business of your scale, I mean, there's only, particularly when we don't see these situations often, how do you forecast and manage these things? Are there, uh, is there a really close relationship with, you know, with government bodies and, and other sort of agencies or is this really a sort of flying blind, I, I mean, not flying blind, but how has that worked?
2: Yeah. So, what uh, what we've always done in in lockdown is we start with the restrictions as the assumption and then what impact that will have by customer and channel. And we've proven to be remarkably accurate in, in the calls that we're making as uh, what the level of restriction, what's open and, and what the impact will be. So um, I would say it's acted as a powerful compass. Uh, and then we can manage the complexity by pack, channel uh, and delivery. So, you know, our business, we deliver to about 100,000 customers directly. Uh, we um, uh, receive orders from, you know, we, we deliver to something like 94% of postcodes on a fortnightly or, or less. So we get a pretty good read for the geographies that are doing well or not and the customer groups are. And we're able to predict with a, with a fair degree of accuracy. So when my team would take me through the channel, they, they would go through channel by channel assumption. What's happening to clubs in New South? As clubs open up, what, what happens to the business? Backpackers, not not surprising. Backpackers isn't doing particularly well at the moment, you know. Kel like,
1: <laughs> 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 <Kale> surprise, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I imagine it must be remarkable then when when lockdown does sort of start easing, and do you just start seeing these sudden spikes of life just coming back into certain markets? It must be incredibly uh, re-energising. Not and not just for the not just for the bottom line, but for your staff as well. That you're, those people working in those channels are like, oh, here we go.
2: Yeah, look, it's a uh, th- there is about a four to six week lag uh, from opening up to confidence returning because pe- people are uh, are still a bit wary. Um, you know, COVID is in the community that they want to be very careful. So that confidence just builds week by week. So we do we do see it returning uh, after that time. And then we work with our customers on, on the return. So, you know, if you could imagine, we've got thousands of post-mix machines and we've got to get them started and going again. So, you know, a number of them maintain it over that time. You know, we've got 16,000 vending machines and you end up with some ghost vending machines that because, you know, if a university shut, it becomes a ghost. So, you know, I think um, the, the complexity of, of managing it by area um, and I, th- I think at the heart that we tried to make sure for our people, they felt, they felt safe and supported. And that, that's probably the area that I think that we're very proud of.
1: Yeah. And can you talk to us about what that looks like within a company of the size of CCEP in terms of engendering that sense of, of safety and, and security?
2: Yeah. So, I, um, if I go to, uh, you know, one of our operations or a logistics site, um, and I'll use Melbourne and Sydney because, you know, COVID has been, been a risk here. Uh, we then trigger from that into escalated cleaning. Uh, what that looks like is we put a 30 minute separation between shifts so that if you did have an issue, it's confined to a, to a shift. Um, we put, um, an escalated cleaning program between shifts. And the way we finish a shift is if, let's say I was driving a forklift, is I, I clean my forklift on the way out, and then the person on the way in cleans the forklift. Um, so, uh, from a productivity point of view, we probably lose 5 to 6% capacity, but we escalate the safety procedures. So, um, those things have served us really well. Uh, and what we also have, have done over recent months is rapid antigen testing. And, um, again, to, to give confidence to to the workforce as they turn up. And, and that's been well received. It's such a
1: strange, such a strange era.
2: <laughs> There's all these words that we wouldn't have known a couple of years ago. No. Someone said a couple of years ago, we're doing rapid antigen. What the hell is it's that?
1: <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I just think that everyone's, it's almost like we're coming out of a, a long winter or something. And, okay, so... Let's look at the categories for CCEP. What categories are you seeing the most change or growth in?
2: Yeah, so I, I think uh, the whole growth of of No Sugar, and in particular for us, the Coke brand has been phenomenal. Um, so the, the, the rate of growth, I, I think, has really surprised. It certainly surprised me. Um, and, you know, versus 2019, uh, which we, we sort of compared 1920, 21. You're always sort of trying to get a sense of because of the amount of noise. Uh, but we, we're, we're sort of, uh, in growth of, of, uh, over 25%. So this, this whole move to, to no sugar is, um, is a big one and it's, it's driven by the power of the Coke brand. Uh, and I think that as people are at home, the two areas that they continue to focus on is health and sustainability. And um, so we've got a very strong focus on just sugar reduction. And I think not only do we feel good from a societal basis, but it, it, it's certainly a, a consumer demand. Um, and then the sustainability, when when you're at home or and you're putting more in your recycle bin, the expectation dials up of, of what people want. And essentially what people want to see is that if they put a, a container in a recycling or in a reverse vending machine or – they they want to see that become a bottle again, and and so that that move to sustainability um, is where we've put a lot of focus, uh, certainly over the last two years.
1: Mm. I was going to say that, I mean, Amitrol and, and now CCAP has really been, I think, one of the top FMCG companies, if we're looking locally, like in Australia, that has really been at the forefront of the sustainability push. And so it's interesting that that now you're saying that you're sort of seeing now that also that consumer demand for it um, is also on a much more practical level. There, um, it's moving just beyond wanting a company to be doing it to actually seeing the impact of it and going, no, I don't, I don't want to be putting that into landfill.
2: All right, um, the the whole introduction of container deposit schemes was was probably a, a, a lesson that Amatel, uh learned. It, it maybe took too long to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the container deposit schemes are, are great because they put a value on the material. And by putting a value on the material, then people redeem it. And so what you then get is you get a quality of material for, for recycling. So the key one that we've had to try and solve as an industry was you know uh, plastic recycling. And so we made a move to um, using RPET in seven out of 10 bottles. So that's all below one one litre. Uh, the reason that we did it was, um, there's a lot of pressure in those bottles. There's like three, three times the pressure of a car tire. So we didn't want to start with RPET on a two litre. So we took a very practical, um, solution. And, um, you know, today we import that RPET, but, you know, we've been excited to announce our sort of in investment in a, in a joint venture on building an RPET facility. And, you know, this is, uh, a very clever industry solution where it has our competitor. It also has a packaging company, a waste company, and you know it's it's the ability to close the loop and provide the solution. So we're really proud that from a beverage perspective, we're really closing that loop to put in the infrastructure to make it happen.
1: Yeah, I and I know just from my perspective and what we've reported on this year, the level of, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, apart from COVID sustainability and actual sustainability deliverables have been the top of the list across the board from food waste initiatives through to recycling you name it and of course packaging which is in some regards absolutely leading the way and it's it's really interesting to see and we're sort of saying that in the in the shadow of glasgow and and just sort of how disappointing that was from a, from an actual practical level on the ground, there's there just seems to be so much action at the moment.
2: Yeah, look, uh, businesses are stepping into the sustainability agenda, uh, driving it hard, demonstrating strong leadership. Apart from it being the right thing to do, it's actually critical for, for your employees uh, and employees want to work for companies that are solving these things. And so, If nothing else, you do it for your employees uh, because of just how motivating it is and and how important it is.
1: I know that last time, I think uh, the last time we spoke, we were talking about the growth as well in the area of sports drinks, of things like Monster and and that sort of space. What What are you seeing there? Is that still, does that still stand?
2: yeah dramatic growth in, in sports drinks um, it's it's been strange sometimes by months you know like when community sports uh, first happened in uh, last year we said oh what happened to the volume it's just like quickly stopped community sports returned but um, I think there's been a really good balance um, of how people have used lockdown. So, they, they, they tend to have been a, a strong health focus. Sports drinks have been a, a part of sort of driving that um, hydration. The, the other area that we've seen uh, really strong growth is um, is in energy and right across the board. And and for us, we have um, the monster brand that has been really one of the stars of the beverage category, certainly the star of the, of the energy category. Um, a, a very clever uh, marketing focus, which is no mainstream advertising. It's all sponsorships uh, online and uh, and very good innovation. So, yeah, they're a, a terrific partner that's uh, it's driven very strong growth. And th- those trends have tended to play out worldwide. So worldwide, there's been growth in, in uh, coconut sugar, in the Monster brand, um, pretty much named the market, and it's been a very similar trend.
1: Yeah. And look, this is from a very uneducated position when you're talking about when you look at those energy drinks, are they much more skewed to the male market um, or or is it across sort of male female sort of demographics?
2: yeah so the the particular channels that they do well is uh, petroleum does well and you tend to see a, a bias in the shopper that buys it so more male uh, and tends to be younger. Uh, a bit more universal in the grocery purchase, but certainly in petroleum, you, you see that mix.
1: Yeah, I was just curious because it, I have four sons, and you know, I know that it's just nothing to them. Like, of course, that's what they would yeah. buy or drink, and I, it's just something. Uh, and that could be generational as well, but uh, generational. But it was not a, something I would think of drinking or buying.
2: Yeah, I suppose for, for um, a lot of people, you'd have a you know a coffee to start or, or a second coffee and. Yeah. For a lot of people who are in that age group, are, uh, you know, a morning energy drink is the equivalent of their cup of coffee.
1: Sure. So, we're, we're offloading. We're selling the beer and cider sector and focusing on the spirits and you know, soft drinks and also low and no alcoholic and alcoholic ready to drinks. Can we talk about that a bit?
2: Yeah. So, our, um, we were proud of our participation in beer and Magnus. And you know, when, uh, when we sort of assessed that business today, we had a, a market share that was under 2%. And when you sort of look at the the future, just say, can you make a really big difference to the category that your customers would notice? And, you know, you've got to have a scale brewing operation. Uh, you've probably got to have access to more taps in the on-premise environment. Uh, and we, we didn't see it becoming a, a large or meaningful part of our business versus if we focus on the core categories that we've got and the innovation in the core categories, then really moving the needle. And I think the example with with Beam Suntory Is a new brand that we've launched called Minus 196. Uh, it's, um, only early days in the market, but it's going to be one of the runaway successes, certainly in the alcohol industry this year, uh, with pretty big, pretty big expectations on it, on it next year. So, uh, for Beam Suntory, this, uh, replicates a product that they sell in Japan. Uh, It's the market leader for RTDs in Japan. And, and there's more for us on bringing those type of differentiated offers to the market than, you know necessarily being a small player in in beer so um for our team you know they love the products uh they love the staff sa- samples of beer i think there's a sense of disappointment that that goes with that <laughs> um but from an enterprise it, it's certainly um means I have to start buying my beer again as well. So.
1: <laughs> I know. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I think, and also, I mean, I, that would be another thing that we've seen reporting-wise is just the, the rise and rise and rise of low-no-alcohol sort of RTDs is a bit of a phenomenon, really.
2: Yeah, there's uh, certainly a lot of launches. Um, I think time will tell how big they become of, of each sector, I think what we're seeing is uh, like the growth of no sugar uh, alcoholic RTDs has, has been incredible. So, we, we see many similar trends across across our categories.
1: Yeah, okay. Tell me, like, I, I guess on a bigger, broader picture, your thoughts on the food and beverage manufacturing in Australia, what are, what are you seeing as some of the challenges and, and also the, the growth opportunities for it?
2: Uh, I think the first one for me is that we're seeing a seismic change in shopper behaviour off the back of COVID that never goes back to 2019 and that means the occasions that people shop for, the locations and um, the categories are different. So, you know, for example, if you're at home, then you're not, you don't tend to be buying bottled water uh, versus if, if you're out, out and about. So it, it creates a seismic change. And then I think the last two years has really tested the resilience of our supply chains, um, and we've probably tested the resilience of our supply chains with with spare capacity to manage the volatility. And I, I sort of have a perspective that the pandemic's just been a dress rehearsal for the turbulence of the next couple of years that we're going to face. And I say that because um, you've got changes in in shopper behaviour, uh, but. If you follow uh, a lot of the press about um, containers and ships and delays on pallets, the ability to move things around easily, uh, we, we're certainly seeing a, a more stressed supply chain in general. And then the big test uh, is going to be talent and labour. Um, and, you know, if you sort of look at normally we grow um, and then we have, you know, two hundred eighty to 300,000 immigrants, we have half a million students, we have a couple of hundred thousand backpackers, you know, you, you, you have this workforce that's entering and we've had two years where it's gone the other way, of people leaving, uh, and we don't have enough workers. So I think the pressure that will come for, for many small customers is uh, some reduced hours because they can, won't get staff and staffing will be the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge.
1: What's, that, what's been your highlight this year, your personal highlight? Uh, I, think,
2: I think managing through, through COVID is, um, I really love complexity. And um, I really like sort of interesting challenges. So, I feel like that's been on steroids. <laughs> um, yes. And you do get a little bit addicted to it is the way I'd sort of describe it. So, it's now sort of training ourselves to sort of manage a bit more, uh, to manage a longer term agenda versus the, the shorter. I also think, um, you know, at a personal level, you have to really focus on your own resilience um, through this. Um, it's exhausting being on WebExes and and video conferences. And so... You know, just things that we know that we mightn't do, just exercise, stretching water. And, you know, my wife teases me because of my routines. Uh, but um, you do need it in this environment um, more, more, than, more than ever. Uh, so, I, I think um, COVID has been a challenge, uh, but I think in general, businesses responded brilliantly uh, to that challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah. And outside of the unique situations that we have uh, we've been living in, what gets you out of bed each day? What puts the kick in your step?
2: Oh, look, I, um, I always get a kick when I just see uh, the growth in, in people. And I sort of have this perspective in work. You, you, like you don't go through learning as a, as a straight line. Mm-hmm. Is you sort of do a job and you play-doh a bit and then you go up and it's like an enormous step and then you, and then you go up. And if you look at most of those things that are dramatic, is they're, they're sort of really complex events that you get to manage, or acquisitions, or integration, or crises, and so I think for the business, the the, the level of of business connectivity and the level of business maturity that's as, as a result. So. I think it's been an incredible learning journey. I don't think you appreciate learning journeys when you're in it. Like I think the learning journeys are (laughs) always
1: better.
2: Afterwards, you go, man, that was terrible. Jeez, I learned a lot. Um, (laughs) I
1: know. I know that was awful. God, I'm just such a better person for it. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, um, so I'm 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 really proud when I just see how people run their business today and their their level of clarity and teamwork. I, I. I think there's a there's a challenge uh, post this to maintain that that level of collaboration.
1: Uh, look, just fantastic, Peter. It's so great to talk to you and and get your insights and experience over this last. strange, strange time. Um, Really looking forward to seeing, you know, what the next 12 months brings and it's been fantastic. Thank you so much.
2: Well, we're heading to summer period, which is not only a great time for everybody to relax, but it's when you really need a soft drink and a beverage. So, we look forward to your support for the next few months.
1: Always. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Peter.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you, Peter. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode nearly as much as I did, you can follow this podcast and your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. (laughs) We'll be back in the not-too-distant future. No, honestly, we will. (laughs) With another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media, on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've
2: been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast,
0: Southern Skies Media.